0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Zeidenberg, breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the College Football Film Room Podcast. Welcome inside the college football film room alongside veteran scout coach and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. I'm Scott Seidenberg, reminding you to subscribe, rate, and review the College Football Film Room Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from because we break down football from a different perspective, and that is the coaching, breaking down of the film perspective. No one does it better than Chris Landry.
1: Welcome, Chris. How are you doing this week? Scott, it's great. Can you believe we're already approaching mid-June, and, uh, man, it's just such a busy time right now with recruiting and obviously, uh, these uh, these camps that are going on, junior camps going on on campus, and it's not going to be long before we're talking about um, the, the early practices. Uh, it'll be here before, you know, I think uh, I, I'm not a countdown clock guy, but somebody <laughs> told me it's like, well, I forget how many days. It's like 46 or something before. And remember, we got that early game with uh, Miami That's and, right. and, and Florida. so man, it is just moving by faster than you can imagine.
0: Well, you talk about recruiting, uh, and that doesn't stop, and it it really doesn't start or stop with kids at the high school level. Recruiting goes on with kids that are on other teams and involved in other programs because the transfer window is just never-ending, and we get more transfer news each and every episode of this show. Shaq Smith, the latest transfer, going to Maryland, A local kid now gets to join the Terrapins. What do you know about Shaq Smith?
1: Well, he's a really good player. Obviously, highly recruited, very athletic, um, big-time playmaker in pursuits, got some rush ability, shows some ability to flip his hips in coverage. Um, Listen, I I think this is – you know, there are a lot of trends in transfer world. But what we're going to see, you know, more and more is a lot of these highly recruited guys that go to a big-time school – Along with others. Mm -hmm. So, and let's look at a a Clemson and for example, and they just, the numbers don't work out. I mean, there's a number of guys. Not everybody is going to be, you know, the, the, the latest and greatest and come out of it as, is making it. So they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere else. And a lot of times it's going back home. Um, Iowa got a kid uh, this week, a former four-star receiver from Michigan. That was from Iowa, went to Michigan, going to be the next greatest thing there. Now he's going to go back home. Really good get for them, uh, for, for Iowa, that is. But I think we're going to see more and more of that happening with guys saying, you know what, it's uh, it hasn't worked out as well. Um, you know, we're going to get into it, but I think there's mixed mixed messages. I'm all for the freedom to move under, I think, certain regulations. And I think what's happened is, In their infinite wisdom, the NCAA puts rules in that Mm -hmm. may be popular. That gets the public off their back, but there's a lot of unintended consequences with any decisions that you make. And we're seeing a complete disaster. Some might call it a cluster of, you know, I think situations where a lot of kids trying to find homes. I think. What are we sending? I'm, I'm a little bit the old coach comes out of me. Are we sending these kids a message that, hey, and things get tough, it don't go your way, uh, just go somewhere else where it's a little bit easier? I I I think that I've got some real issues with it. I think in it of itself, it's got some merit, but. You know, uh, there, there's some complications that go along with this.
0: Well, this kid played every year, every game last year for Clemson, and it's still not known whether he's going to have just one year or two years of eligibility at Maryland. But this, you never know. Yeah, this, <laughs> you exactly. never know how the is going to And, and go. you know what? It leads, it leads me into our next trending topic, Chris, because this is something that you and I have talked about a lot on not just, you know, this podcast and it's in its old form when it was called Rush the Field. We talked about the idea of college free agency. And I think that we have that now. It exists because there are so many different loopholes in the transfer rules that kids are allowed to play right away. And and whether they're waivers that are granted by the NCAA or just rules that they're taking advantage of. But the transfer situation has become a topic of conversation between a bunch of athletic directors and commissioners this past week at a convention. And one of the more publicized comments was from the Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowlesby who basically said all transfers should have to sit 1 year with no exceptions. I'm kind of on board with this Chris because I think it takes away from that college free agency a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, again, I think what what they've done is they've made it easier. I listen, I'm I'm going to just tell it like it is. The NCAA is very aware, and I would say fearful, of the whole, look, if we don't pay these guys, somebody's going to sue, and it's going to get in the courts, and all of a sudden, they don't. The last thing they want to do is pay players, and that opens up a bigger issue, and this is just kind of a tip of the iceberg of, if you think this is a, a confusing situation, imagine if we tried to delegate money for it, so that's another topic we're not getting into that today, but I think what they're trying to do is say, well, we'll let them transfer, you know, that, that, you know, that we'll throw them a bone there. Well, when, when you do that, then everybody can move for with any reason. And we were just joking about Jack and whether he's going to be, we think we know there's been very, a lot of leniency to let them, you know, play immediately, but there's circumstances where they can't. I think there's a lot of merit to what Bob is saying. I think that. You know, you you making it too easy for kids. We're having kids that are putting their names in on Monday and taking it out on Wednesday. Yep. It, it, it's almost like they're pouting. Like I, I'm going to, you know, it's like a player in the NFL. And I think this is where they are getting it, it into it is, you know, I'm not going to show up and I'm going to show them that I'm not happy with my contract and yada, yada, yada. Well, I just, you know, to me, I think you got some issues that we really need to take a hard look at. And I, I don't know the complete answer. Here, here's my feeling is if a kid has unusual circumstances, wanting to move back home for family reasons, and it's documented that, you know, going home to be a near a parent who's ill or what have you, I, I think there's some leniency in situations like that. But to out and out say you can pick up and leave anytime you want and be eligible immediately, I'm not in favor of that. I don't think that's good. I think that opens up a can of worms. And and I think a lot of people who say, oh, it's unfair, these kids are not getting anything. I think we're creating uh, a lot of ignorance. The media is responsible for this largely because you got these people that are getting on their soapbox and saying these kids ought to be paid, yada, yada, yada. and, And they don't realize, I mean, they do, but they don't respect the fact that these kids are getting an opportunity for an education that's worth uh, up to a quarter of a million dollars mm-hmm. in terms of value. And they don't, I don't think the kids are valuing that enough. I think we've got a real problem. And I don't know if, if sitting out automatically is the answer, but I'm, I'm more along the lines of that because what we are seeing this year right now with these guys, it's a mess. And I think we're having half of these guys that can't find homes. And I listen, it's also a way out for schools. I think you can go out and find you a guy in the free agent market, but you know, you also can, it's a way to kind of guy and listen, let's not all put it on the kids. Because I think there's some schools that are telling, "Hey, Scott, I don't really see you fitting here. You know, I maybe you ought to look at. Let, let me let me make a call to my coaching buddy here. Uh-huh, that maybe uh-huh. you're better fit there. I think some of that's taking place because all of a sudden the kid's not quite as as good as they thought when they evaluate him. Well, now you kind of push the kid out the nest, and now you can give that scholarship to somebody else. That's
0: I, well, I well, that's think, exactly I, yeah. That's the
1: point I was going to bring up because they're 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 trying to open up
0: scholarships. So you encourage yes. a kid to transfer because behind the, behind the scenes, you're trying to open up a scholarship for somebody else.
1: I, I think there's, we'd be naive to to say that's not the case. Now, is that what we want to do? Is that what we, and listen, people may say, Oh God, Landry, get off." I mean, you know, <laughs> it, 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 listen, as an old coach in me, I'm thinking, look, what are we teaching the kids? What, what, what are we, what are we really saying and doing here? Um, I think, again, circumstances ought to be allowed to where a kid could transfer. But if you're not willing to compete, if you lose your job and you want to go somewhere else because it's easier, what are we really teaching these guys with a 90 percent of them never going to see pro ball? Are you going to say when you get into the real world, when things don't work well, I mean, uh, Scott, you're, you're a working man. You've worked your way up. I mean, uh, is every day, uh, you know, a Christmas, uh, for you? Of course. I mean, Not you know, they're, 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 humps, they're battles. They're well, I mean, I don't know what we're preparing these kids for. I think what we're doing is center. Really? We talk about, we want to educate these kids. We want to, we want to do things, but, but everything that we're hearing today is about money, money. These kids should get some of the money. They should do this. They should be allowed to go here. Or there do we want college football to be the NFL? No one loves the NFL more than I did. Okay. But I don't want it to be college football and I don't want college, you know, the, the NFL to be college. Um, I don't want the, the college to be the NFL. I, I think that it is still an opportunity to go and get a degree, uh, develop yourself. I think more money should be put into the development of players on and off the field. I think, for example, if a kid finishes his college eligibility, and he does what he's supposed to do. I'd like a school that that, that that kid spent enough time at that school. You should pay for his graduate degree now. And he's no longer playing football, more. But that that should be funded partly by the NCAA and the school. You pay the kid; he's going to go to graduate school on your dime, not on. I mean, I think there are things you can do. You can pay for the parents to go to the games and put them up in hotels and do things like that. But you know this whole I need to pay them and they need to. This is college athletics. What are we doing here? You know, we're making it just like the pro game. Go and transfer. Go somewhere mm-hmm. else. That's not the answer. I mean, I think there needs to be uh, accountability for the school and the player to say, you go there, you 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 have to have a really good reason to leave, and maybe you should have to absolutely sit out before you can play. I I think there needs to be a harder look at this. It
0: would be a deterrent. It would absolutely take away from the college football free agency that we're experiencing right now. Uh, Moving on to uh, continuing our what's trending uh, topics here, Chris. Miami with a huge recruiting land. And
1: and I mean that in more ways than one because they got themselves a big boy in Jalen Rivers. Yeah, Jalen Rivers is a really good run blocker, and he's got to develop a little bit in the passing game, but, you know, he's a really good get. And they've done a good job. Manny Diaz has recruited very well, and that's the only way to get Miami, you know, close to being back and um, being competitive in that coastal and maybe being the team to beat on that side where there's really not that team right now. Um, They've got to recruit a lot better, and they've got to get more kids like it, particularly on the defensive side, but this kid really is going to help them on the offensive line. So good, good get for them. Excited at least about where things at least seem to be headed.
0: Six five three That is a big boy. Big,
1: absolutely. <laughs> big, a... big boy. Emphasis <laughs> on big boy.
0: <laughs> Finally, uh, Clemson has a new coaching intern. 63-year-old Terry Bowden is joining the Clemson staff as an intern. What is some of his roles going to be at Clemson as an intern?
1: I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know that he's going to have much of a role at all. Um, He's actually going to be a graduate assistant um, and how they're going. I mean, and I don't know. I'm assuming that Clemson's going to pay for his. I I don't know how this is playing out. Um, I'm a little bit confused and and really applaud him for it. You know, at 63 years old, um, you, you know, with uh I, – I, I'm assuming because he's made a lot of money. he's, They're in good shape. that The fact that he wants to get a degree in yeah, uh, athletic a management, degree, yep. I mean, a grad- that's really interesting uh, at this point. He's kind of against retirement age. So, listen, give him a lot of credit for doing that. I don't know that he's going to have a big role other than maybe kind of another set of eyes. They'll have a they'll have some role, but you still have the role of. I don't think he's going to be your typical graduate assistant. He has more experience than that, obviously. Um, but you know, it's it's very unusual because that's normally a role. I came up that direction where you can get your graduate degree uh, paid for, and yet you can be a young coach and develop and do a lot of things. With the staff management today, um, he's going to you know probably bring another set of eyes and do certain things that uh, can help them. Um, obviously going to be unpaid. Um, and, and I, maybe they're, like I said, maybe they're waiving the tuition or he's decided to pay for it himself. Um, but to, just to be involved is uh, very, very interesting for someone of his age and uh, all credit to him. But I don't, you know, I don't think it's, it's a case where he's going to have much input into the Clemson program. Uh, I don't see that at all. And I I think it's pretty clear that he could have done that in some advisory role, where he's just working on football, uh, pretty obvious that he wanted to get some involvement in um, in in more uh, educational experience. I'm wondering if he would not like maybe to go back and maybe be an athletic director at a at a and maybe a sunbelt type yeah. school or, or maybe or even a division, division one, man, a you division know so, 2 school or something. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean that might be something that he wants to do and feels like maybe that's the next step. And maybe this administrative, they've got a pretty good program there at Clemson Athletic Administration. So I, I, I that's I'm just going to be my guess, not having talked to Terry, that that's what his plan is, and and so I would say that uh, getting his uh, you know graduate degree is is the priority, and probably his involvement in the football program will be minimal, is is my guess.
0: Well, after they fired his brother, they replaced him with. Dabble, Dabble Swinney. <laughs> so there's the uh, the connection
1: there. By <laughs> the way, uh-huh. did you hear, and this is something that um, I haven't heard the quote, but it's come out, Ray said, Dabble's under some fire because he apparently did an interview with Mike Krzyzewski. I guess Mike has a show um, somewhere that he does. A, like a a Sirius, I think it. he has
0: like a serious XM show okay. maybe or something. All right. yeah. So
1: he did an interview apparently a while back. I haven't heard it, but it's starting to come out recently in the last 24, 48 hours where Dabo, obviously, if he said this is really a dumb thing to say. He was, I guess, trying to a failed attempt, awkward attempt at humor mm-hmm. uh, where he was asked about, um, you know, going back to Alabama, you know, being an Alabama guy. Now you've beaten Alabama twice. You blew him out. What it's like going home to Pelham, Alabama, and all that, and he made a uh, and and again, I haven't heard it, so but but still, in any sense, it, it 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 came across the transcript very very weird. Weird. He compared himself to Osama bin Laden, uh, like going to Alabama like he was you know not popular, and he's like like traveling in the caves and stuff, and it, it just. Red, very awkward. Not, and, not, a, good, not a
0: good choice. Oh, uh, yeah, just know, not, awful, not, An awful yeah. <laughs> situation
1: where he's really trying to be funny, And, enough, and it, it is, it's getting a little bit of legs to where he's probably going to have to come out with an apology. Again, I hadn't heard it, but I don't care what you say. But when you start talking about something so, uh, gosh, Scott, you, you're right there in New York. And we all felt it around the country. You didn't need to be from New York. But. Something that you don't, you don't even approach any sort of comic relief with throwing out yeah something like Osama bin Laden. And, and like, like it almost came across to me that he was comparing himself as like, you know, this, you know, this figure, like, you know, like putting himself on a pedestal, like, oh, everybody's out for him. I it really came across very very poorly and probably something he's going to have to answer to it hasn't gotten the legs nationally yet mm-hmm. surprised it hadn't in its slow news cycle but we'll see if it does but very very awkward and very very stupid the dabble can be kind of goofy in some ways oh we know and yeah. it's it's okay to be goofy and say something stupid but when you say something that could be very offensive to a lot of folks that Don't don't want anything associated with uh, that guy and what he was responsible for. That just uh, was like really, really in bad taste. And you just you don't go there. You know what I mean? You, You know that you don't go there at all. Just don't, just don't even broach that subject. That was very, very uh, awkward sounding. I'm sure he's going to have to issue an apology.
0: I'm sure he's going to have to come out. And even if, yeah, it it might get some legs in the next couple of days when there's an even slower uh, news cycle. Moving on to the scouts' eye portion of the program, Chris. Last week we talked about the top defensive lines in the country. So let's flip it over and go over who are some of the top offensive lines around college
1: football. Well, I'm going to start with the Georgia Bulldogs. They've got three full-time starters that are all-American caliber, led by Andrew Thomas, who's going to be a first-round pick at left tackle. They've got a sophomore superstar in Isaiah Wilson uh, at the other tackle spot. Solomon Kinley is back at left guard. It, it's a, it, it starts at really, really outstanding group. I think Alabama's group is deep. It's physical. Uh, Alex Leatherwood. Um, is outstanding. Evan Neal could start early and play well. Um, I think those two jump out. I think that Clemson's offensive line, even though they're replacing Mitch Hyatt, uh, they're really, really good. Uh, a lot of experience, a lot of good guys. Sean so Pollard at center. The guards, uh, John Simpson and Gage Cerveca, really good. Uh, Tremaine Ancrum is really good at right tackle. I think Jackson Corman is a good young player very highly recruited guys. So those are really good. I think Michigan's offensive line is very good. Uh, I think Ed Warner teaches a running game very well. They've got John Runyon Jr. He's uh, got another John there. (laughs) Makes me feel old. Uh, uh, And then the the really good guards and interior guys and Ben Bredesen and Cesar Ruiz and Michael O'Neill is really good. So I I like Michigan's offensive line. And then, Iowa's going to be really good, like their tackles and worse and Jackson. Um, I think uh, Iowa State's got a very good offensive line. Uh, so those kind of jump out near the top. I think Auburn's also very good. I think Washington um, has got a very good uh, offensive line out in the Pac-12. Uh, probably the best offensive line in the group of five is Boise State. Really good group. Ezra Cleveland is going to be a high pick as well. So um, LSU's got a, a a pretty good offensive line uh, coming back with some potential. So those guys, uh, those, th- those groups stand out amongst the best. Now, what's always fun is as the season develops, there's some guys that are, you know, like Ohio State, that's young, unproven, but I would suspect they're going to be in one of the top ten offensive lines, one of my top ten offensive lines as the season progresses. Right. Wisconsin is also another one. That will end up being. Did you did
0: you mention Washington
1: University of Washington? Yes. Yeah,
0: because between Nick Harris and uh, and Trey um Trey, Trey Adams, yeah, they're, yes. they're, they got pretty good. At it. The the one the one question I want is Andrew Thomas the best offensive lineman in the country?
1: I think he is. Uh, I think he's certainly the best tackle, and I would probably rank him the best. The the one guy that I think might be. Um, you know, I put in his class would be the center at Wisconsin. Tyler Bieda is, is really, really good. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would probably rank him number one, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, he's – I mean, he's someone definitely – he's on the NFL draft radar for 2020, probably mm-hmm. going to be
1: a – Yeah, and, and I like – you know, we'll, we'll get into some individual guys here in a second, um, but, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the Walker Little kid of Stanford's outstanding – uh, as well. Um, and, and I think I tell you whose offensive line pretty good, too, that I think will end up being one of the better ones uh, as the season goes along as Oregon. So I think Oregon and Washington are the best looking offensive lines, out, certainly out west.
0: They have Oregon's got um uh, the name is I'm losing the name here. But when I was doing my. You know, just looking at some draft stuff for next year, um, uh-huh. they have a player.
1: Uh, Cal- Shane Shane is a really good guard that's going to that's gonna be a good player at the next level. They've got a senior, Calvin Throckmorton. Calvin Throckmorton, Throckmorton. Ver- that's who it is. is. Yes. really, really good. Um, he's a four-year starter. I like his versatility. He's played center guard. Now he's played both tackle spots. They're really good. But they've got some good young players at Mario Cristobal, of course, Former offensive line coach. They are recruiting very well. I, I think it's a good unit, and um, I think it could be better with a couple of if a couple of young guys. You know, it's always looking at the units versus the individual guys. You you can look, and if you have sometimes four veteran guys coming, and none of them are great, they could still be a better unit than maybe a line with two great All-Americans but they're staggered by maybe some either lesser caliber guys or youth that might, you know, bring the overall unit down because, you know, with five guys, that's, you know, you're only as good as your weakest link, so to speak.
0: How about Trey Smith at Tennessee?
1: Really like him a lot. I think he's got a chance to be a really good player. I think he's coming along and he's going to have to play well early. Of course, he's going to be lined up with, some really young guys that they're going to have to press a couple of true freshmen into action at Tennessee uh, because they're just not very good on the defensive line. There's there's a couple of kids that I think is going to help them early that that probably are going to start uh, right away, and uh, that's uh, Donnell Wright and Wanya Morris. So they could have two true freshmen starting offensive line with Trey.
0: Wow, and Drew Richmond too, right?
1: Drew Richmond is yeah. another very good one that, uh, that that I think's got a good future. That's been the biggest problem that Tennessee's had on, I mean talent wise overall, but yeah. offensive and defensive line. They haven't been as good or as deep as they need to be. That's starting to get a little bit better through their recruiting.
0: Yeah, and you know, Notre Dame always has a top offensive line. Uh, who's any guy any specific player that we yeah, should focus. To, on
1: Tommy Kramer at guards really, really good. They've got a few young guys. Uh, they've made a they've made a, a couple of switches in spring that I think is going to upgrade it. But the guy to remember the most, at least going into the season, is Tommy Kramer. It's his okay. second year at guard after beginning at right tackle, so um, he's he's definitely a really good one to keep an eye out for.
0: Yeah, and we know that Quentin Nelson <laughs> had a pretty good year. Uh, no, no <laughs> doubt
1: about that. A couple of years ago, good good year in the NFL last year. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's move on now to the coach's corner. And last week, Chris. We went over some coaches that are on the hot seat heading into this season. Guys that, you know, if they get off to a rough start, the seat's going to get a little hotter and there could potentially be jobs that are on the line. This week, I want to focus on some underrated coaches that really deserve a little more respect than I think that they're being given. Some coaches that are actually (coughs) on the rise and we should be paying attention to. Who are some
1: names that we should focus in on? Well, the guy that intrigues me the most, because we had a couple of them just, you know, get jobs last year that were really good that I was talking about a lot. One was Neil Brown, who was at Troy. He got the West Virginia job. Uh, the, the other one was Scott Satterfield at uh, he's got the job at Louisville, who' at Appalachian State. Uh, those two guys were, you know the 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 guys that were in this group in conversation, the last couple of years, um, so the the next guy, the guy that is the next Scott Satterfield, Neil Brown. Um, in fact, I think he was deserving of getting an opportunity this year. It just didn't work out. Is Bill Clark at Alabama Birmingham? Uh, he's a two-time you know national coach of the year. He's you know they let go of that program and he brought it back. He's just an outstanding coach, and I think he's headed for a big-time job. It's just a matter of where does he want to go and what's the, re- the, the best opportunity for him? But he has the list of guys that really are the most intriguing. I I, I think the world of Brian Harson at Boise, Yeah, he's starting to become a little bit more like a Chris Peterson type every year. Uh, and that is a compliment in what he's able to do with his teams, but also, you know, his selectivity about where he might want to go. Um, uh, you know, he's been around more places than the Northwest, you know, which is, you know, Chris Peterson, his everyone always said every year he's going to go here. He's going to go there. And you know, anybody that knew Chris and I knew Chris, there are only two jobs that he was really interested in Washington and Oregon. And he's a Northwest guy. And obviously he's got one of them at, uh, at Washington. Uh, I don't know. I think Har- Brian Harson might be willing to move. Um, he might be a little bit more flexible where, where he wants to go, but he's going to have to get the right job. He's someone to keep an, an eye out on. I think Seth Latrell of North Texas I was just gonna is, I was yeah, just is just really going to bring good. him up. Yeah, really good. He's a really good coach, um, and I think he's uh, I think he's uh, outstanding. So those guys do. Um, they're, they're it's not a an extensive list, mm-hmm. but I think those those guys are doing. Um, You know, really good jobs. I think we need to keep an eye out, again, how some of these guys, I think how Matt Wells, who did a great job at Utah State, he was also high on my list last year. He's got the Texas Tech job. I want to see how well he does into the future. Um, I'm I'm very curious there. Um, I think, you know, Will Healy, who's just got the job at Charlotte this past year, was at Austin P a really, really good young up-and-coming coach that uh, I think is going to be... A uh, young guy do. too,
0: right?
1: Yeah, he, he's very, very young and I think has a chance to be a fast riser and Charlotte's a good you know, step up from him, uh, but I think he's going to head it for great things. Uh, I think Mike Houston at East Carolina did a great job at James Madison. I think he's somebody to watch. I think that Rod Carey, who came from Northern Illinois to Temple, is a really, you he, a fast rising guy that has a, has a great chance. So those guys kind of jump on I me. Mean, the kid, the kid, the, the, young guy at, uh, at Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chedwell kind of got promoted up, um, is another guy to, to keep in mind that, uh, got a chance to be really, really good. So, um, you know, uh, those, those are some guys that I think have, uh, have really good futures that uh, that we need to keep an eye on. And, you know, Tyson Helton of Western Kentucky, people like I'm not as sold on him at this point. Let's see how it develops. But those are some guys that uh, are really intriguing to me.
0: Will the hype match the production for someone like Mike Loxley? Because he does come in with a lot
1: of hype. I think Mike is a really good recruiter. I think it comes down upon... Two things, uh, hiring and maintaining his staff and, you know, making sure that he gets a lot out of it, um, getting a, you know, a, a couple of transfers, like we talked about a little bit earlier, uh-huh. uh, uh, that can help them. They're going to have to build it in recruiting. Um, first it's going to start with getting the kids in the, in, in the, the Atlantic Seaboard that beltway area they're not going to keep the four and, you know, the occasional five-star guy, those, the Clemsons and the, everybody else is going to come and get them, but they've got to be competitive getting what I would call the mid to lower level four-star kid. They've got to keep them. They've got to beat certainly Virginia tech for them. They've got to beat Penn state for them. They've got to do a better job of keeping some of those guys there. And let's call it like it is. You got to walk before you crawl. They're going to have to do a good job of developing what they do have. They're going to have to take some three stars and really do some good things with them. And if they don't, they're not going to be able to develop a program. I mean, because at Maryland, you're not going to go out there and all of a sudden start out, you know, having a top five recruiting cast in the country. It just doesn't happen. So you've got to build that up. You've got to become more competitive and then that's going to lead to better recruiting, and then they're going to have to hit on a few big-time playmakers. Like, for example, they may have the best running back duo in the Big Ten going into the season. Hmm. Um, they're pretty weak in other areas, but they've got to play to that. They've got to utilize that. Um, I would say this, that when you say, will the height, you know, how good can Maryland be? Well, they're in the east of the Big Ten. So they're not going to catch up with Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State. I mean, if those programs are doing a halfway decent job, you're not going to climb up the ladder there at Maryland. So can you get, if you're Maryland, a consistent level where you're doing what Michigan State does? Um, That's doable. But I don't know that Mike is the same type of guy as Mark D'Antonio. I think Mike's going to have to really, again, put together a dynamite staff, and he's going to have to give a lot of control to his coordinators. They do have some Under Armour money that they can tie into, and if they're willing to spend it and maybe just outbid people for staff, they have a chance to be competitive. But, you know, quite frankly, they went for the money, and, boy, are they going to gonna make a lot of it when they start to get the full complement of the Big Ten. But competitively speaking, I think they hurt themselves a great deal by going to the Big Ten because I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to sniff mm-hmm. anything in the East. Whereas if you know you put them, uh, I mean I know everybody's looking up at Clemson, but but after Clemson, I mean the ACC's wide open. Absolutely. And you know if you're Maryland, you could, you know Maryland can do what NC State's doing or anybody else is doing. So I, I think it's going to be a tough. It's going to be tough competitively. For Maryland to be what you know, a lot of the hype is. I, I just think Mike is an opportunity for him. He was a former head coach. He struggled, and it's back home for him. So listen, it's a great opportunity. But no, I, I don't. I don't look at Maryland becoming a consistent, you know, top twenty program anytime soon. Let's hope they can maybe kind of get into that, uh, and and maybe ever so often go to bowl games. You know, most years once they get it going. And uh, you know, maybe maybe kind of winning that every three or four years, Scott winning the eight game, maybe the right you schedule right, you win nine games, and who knows what can happen.
0: Hey, you guys like this podcast? Great. Subscribe to it, rate and review it, wherever you get your podcasts. But listen to free podcasts every day on LandryFootball.com. From college football, including new daily SEC and Big Ten podcasts, to the NFL, to deep into the scouting and coaching world, it's all there at LandryFootball.com. Get a complete breakdown of college and NFL rosters from detailed film room analysis. You get player grades, learn how coaches and scouts evaluate players as they prepare for the upcoming season. And take advantage of the scouting season sale going on right now at LandryFootball.com and get over 50% off. Chris, you're crazy.
1: (laughs) Well, that's certainly true, and a lot of people would would verify that. But, you know, in this case, we think it's a good opportunity to get involved because there's no offseason for us in football. There's certainly no offseason at LandryFootball.com or here on the Believe Podcast, where we break down football all year long. So – what are we doing? We're breaking down college rosters. We're breaking down NFL rosters. We're getting you ready for the season like football teams get ready to prepare their team. So it's a great opportunity. We know there's a lot going on out there. There's summer you know, vacations and stuff, but it's a great opportunity to get involved, learn more about these rosters, the personnel, get ready for the football season because we'll be starting practice before you know it. And we'll be talking about upcoming games before you know it when they get closer up on the calendar.
0: And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the College Football Film Room Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow Chris on Twitter at Landry Football. Follow me at Scott's On Air.
1: Until next week, Chris. Hey, look forward to it, Scott. Thanks a bunch.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe.